You're listening to Conversations with Koopman. On this podcast series, we invite guests who are qualified professionals and industry experts to talk to us about the latest topics and trends happening in the financial services market. Joining myself and Will on this episode is Charmian Simmons. Charmian is a seasoned risk subject matter expert with over 20 years experience in managing risk. She specializes in internal audit, compliance, financial crime, and third-party risk, primarily in the financial sector. She has held senior roles at a fintech, regtech, and a number of tier one banks. Charmian has assisted various organizations improve their programs, processes, controls, mitigate risk, and enhance data connectivity. She is CAMS, CDPSE, CRMA, and CISA certified. On this episode, Sharman talks to us about how the pandemic has impacted the fintech sector. She looks at how the sector is positioned from a controls and regulatory standpoint, and how the landscape looks in the years ahead. Sharman is passionate about the fintechs, and as a subject matter expert, brings some detailed points to the fore. And for those interested in the relationship between regulation and innovation in a fintech, this is well worth listening to. Sharmin, hello. It's Andrew here. How are you? Good, thanks. It's great to be chatting with you today on the podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome to Conversations with Koopman. I'm joined today by Will. Hey, Sharmin. How are you keeping? Good, thank you. Good. Great to have you on. Absolutely. Really look forward to today's conversation, Sharmin. So I've given the audience uh, an overview and a, a bit of a background into yourself and your career. So I think we can jump uh, straight into today's topic, which is very much centered around you know, the fintech industry and I suppose the regulation and relationship of data within fintech. So yeah, I'll kick off with, uh, with our first question, which is a dual-pronged question. So obviously, Everybody is is still in the midst of this global pandemic, and it's had you know effect far and wide. I suppose my my first part of the question is, you know, what in your opinion has been the impact of the pandemic uh, on the fintech industry, and do you think that's kind of put us to a stage now where they've almost kind of fast forwarded and, and reached maturity? Yeah, I mean the the pandemic has certainly taken everybody by surprise. And I think, you know, right now it's very much in in the front and centre from an economic, from a global political standpoint. And really everybody just wants to get back to their old normal or whatever their new normal is going to be. And I think if we just take the last year of how we've experienced it, um, user experience is just playing such a big role here. And if we look at things like the boom of the Internet of Things and our dependency on smart device usage, you know, those things are shaping our actions. And they're most definitely shaping customer expectations on so many different levels. So, you know, there's always an app for this, or, you know, they'll come up with a different way that will make it easier for us to do something. So, Really, it's that customer journey, that customer experience, you know, how do fintechs really use those two components as a key factor for winning and maintaining customer loyalty, especially when there's just so many different players out there. And and even if we just look back into, you know, January and say Davos, the 2021 agenda, we saw that the economic World Economic Forum called out COVID-19 as being sort of an accelerator in the fourth industrial revolution. And that's meaning that digitization of human interaction, e-commerce, online education, remote working, all of those things are playing a bigger, bigger and part in what's happening right now. And 
it's really just demonstrating to us more so than before the importance of what digital is in our society. And financial uncertainty is a really big piece of that right now too. And so those changing habits um, of what societies are doing and what technologies are doing in this technology providing that safe haven is certainly, you know, having an effect on what it, on what we're doing and what fintechs are doing, what regtechs are doing, what legal techs are doing. So all of that sort of combined to, you know, everyday banking, online shopping, think about day trading, or if you're onboarding a new customer, um, anything to do with policy renewal, financial analysis, robo-analysis, there's so many different things that are out there right now. We're heavily relying on what fintech technology has been able to do for us. Now, to answer the second part of your question, you said sort of, you know, where is it leading, leading us to? Well, right now, the fintech revolution is not at its maturity. It's not reached its ultimate potential at all, in my opinion. And if we sort of just take a tiny step back in time and think about where fintechs came from to where they are now, fintechs really happened out of the 2008 financial crisis when um, a lot of ex-bankers and tech and media individuals who saw an opportunity to change the way traditional banking was working, how it was reacting to things, it gave way to a better way to trade and invest and do cross-border payments and things like that. So it really just offered a great method to achieve speed, to achieve innovation, and really to to improve and create better financial services. And, you know, C-suites took notice. If they didn't already have a, a digital transformation strategy already in their midst, they really quickly put one together out of that crisis. And that continues to be a key thing that the C-suites and um, operating boards look at now. They want to be able to automate. They want to be able to gain operational efficiencies and competitive advantage. They want to exceed customer expectations. And eventually, they want to get to data-led decision-making. And tech is their way of doing that to um, advance and, and take advantage of what it can all deliver. It's very uh, interesting, you know, what, what you're saying. And I think, you know, just looking at how far financial services have come in the relationship with the consumer in the past decade. And, you know, as you said, in your opinion, that we're maybe not uh, anywhere close to maturity yet. It'd be interesting to see what the, the next decade looks like. But it kind of a few of the things I picked up there from what you're saying, uh, Shaman, is that, you know, it's very much around the customer expectations, the customer journey and, uh, you know, the experience and, and loyalty. So the customer is no doubt front and center. I mean, in, in your career, you've uh, had the uh, ability and the, the opportunity to, to work in kind of a tier one banking industry where there's, you know, uh, I suppose best in practice controls. When you look at then the, the, the fintech industry, do you feel that they have positioned themselves well enough from a controls perspective to know and, and to treat their customers well, given that it is the customer that's front and center? I think the short answer of that is yes. And here's my reasoning. Fintechs have really typically hired ex-practitioners. So people that work in compliance or audit or IT, you know, SecOps, DevOps, InfoSec, those types of areas. And that's just been simply because, you know, they need those expertise to be able to design and influence and shape what their systems and their process, the controls look like. Having come from, like we said before, ex-banking worlds or ex-development areas, they know these things are important. They know that risk control process, that regulatory understanding is really, really top of mind, particularly if they're going to work with um, regulated entities. So the foundation that they've built there from themselves is quite strong from the get-go. Now, in order to maintain that, 
they have to be able to go out and seek and gather and provide multiple channels to get customer and industry feedback. And they use that feedback as a guide to help them on their product enhancement roadmaps, whether it's for the short or the long term. They um, will use it to develop new products or new delivery methods. They'll even learn from things like bespoke customizations that they do. And they'll also just peek in and, and have a, a relationship with different practice bodies and task force. So things like ISACA, ACAMS, or the IAA, you know, crypto task forces that are out there, digital finance task force and industry trends and things, they're going to tap into that in order to understand how they're going to be able to deliver what's expected of them in order to service their own customers or service their clientele. And really, just to stay true to their innovative nature, they still have to look for that next reliable technology moment, something that's going to propel them further and gain more competitive advantage in an industry that's already got a lot of startups and and banking customers already. And look, just to, to put that last piece into perspective, do you know that in 2019, fintech's investment was about, I think it's about 55 million US dollars was what was invested. In 2020, I think it was about 54 million. And if we look at where they're estimating fintechs to go, by 2023, they're estimating about 305 billion is what the estimated worth of the fintech industry is going to be. So they have a vested interest to make sure that they meet a lot of those customer controls, those regulatory angles, the expectations of um, what industry bodies and things are going to be. It, it, it's in their interest to do so. And I think they've also just learned from things in the past. As they started off, there was probably a couple of learning curves that they had to hit first, you know, things like that we would have seen, you know, in the in the 2010s is probably around product owners. They, they didn't fully understand all the requirements or a certain particular, you know, say segregation of duty control that would need to take place in that development process. And I've seen that happen. It was in a um, KYC onboarding tool in Salesforce and sounded great and made, made it much more of a straight through processing activity, but the developers didn't fully understand segregation of duty controls. And that alone had an impact on how they designed it. They had to go back and redo that workflow to force it to a second line of defense control to then force it back to that first line. So we see areas where that does pop up. And the other side of that then is too, is if we look at it from a design of a corruption perspective or how do you circumvent it, criminals are just getting smarter. Every time you tell them no, or you say, don't think of the color blue, everybody thinks of the color blue. Everyone goes, no, I want to do it. So they look for ways to come around how they're going to get around those particular um, points. And even things like regulatory insight teams, if they didn't have the right regulatory insight team to help them to shape what they were doing, or maybe they weren't properly staffed with it, maybe they only looked at one jurisdiction, not global jurisdictions, and didn't understand some of the cross-border natures that was happening. Those sort of things all come into play, as well as even compliance individuals. They were still thinking very much like a traditional FI. So can that cause any tension or perhaps conflict when they were doing a design and development process? So how do they not stifle that innovative perspective as they're still going ahead? And there's so many different examples I could I could give you. Digital identity and fraud is a, is a really big one that, that comes to mind. You know, there's so many customers vying out there looking for a way to help out in that digital identity side of it. So the scenario, you know, where you could use digital identity for like account opening or you can use it for suspected fraud, you can do it for account freezing. 
Um, you know, even end of January, there was a really good case that I saw come up around an IRS agent in the US. And he was actually accused of identity theft, wire fraud, and allegedly forging documents to buy a New York City co-op property. And how that all came about was he was actually investigating a particular person for tax fraud. And in the end, they concluded that there was nothing off the back of it to charge the individual with, but then he stole that person's identity, went off and had fake passports and everything else created and documents and was able to go out through some of these smaller, you know, challenger banks and open up accounts. So there's different ways that, you know, just in that one example, we have to have a lot of robust regulatory control and are the right mindset with the right people that have that knowledge to look at how the technology is being used, look at what those risks are, look at what those emerging risks are to go ahead and actually move that through. And, and you mentioned, you know, I, I guess the, the, the investment and, and I guess the growth within the, the, the fintech industry at the moment and, you know, and I guess how easy it is for a customer to open up accounts and, you know, looking at digital identity and, and I guess having sort of that regulatory control behind that. Do you feel that, that there are rigorous standards uh, are being met across uh, within AML, across the fintech industry? And is there more that they can be doing? So I think the short answer... <laughs> again, is probably yes. And I'm going to say that for the most part. I think we need to be mindful that this relies on a combination of things. It relies on software technology, the platform and the service hosting, the data that's being checked, any changes in regulation or conditions, you know, even down to like things like the risk assessment, the tolerance levels that are set at a particular business or a bank or an insurance company. And then, and then there's always that human element as well. So what, what are they doing around monitoring and resolving conflicts? You know, how strict are they in letting something go through in a straight-through processing manner versus they'll have somebody manually look at it? But, you know, we can break that down into a couple of areas. So if we just take, like, the data component, for example, things like data sources not being equal, you know, public versus private data or use of secondary identifiers and duplicate elimination, all of those things help to be able to come back to finding the right information and getting the right answer. And look, a lot of fintechs source and consume that type of data providers who specialize in AML type of data sets. So that's the first part. And, you know, that's something they must definitely do. If you think about it from the regulatory and the conditions perspective, we'll just think about things like sanctions or the fifth directive that came in, data privacy that's been changing from country to state. You know, in the US, you've had the California Consumer Protection Act. They're talking about Virginia now bringing one on board. In Europe, we've got GDPR. You've got more of a federated model that's that's sitting there and, and working in place. So there's a lot of things that sit there and change what's necessarily going on and how people think about it. And a fintech has to stay up to date with what those things are. And then there's also the things like that technology component that I was saying earlier, the changes in the expectations around technology. Think about what's happening in cloud computing right now with artificial intelligence, machine learning, using blockchain and contracts and things like that, smart contracts. There's a lot of things that are, are changing, you know, what we what we use and how we can do things in that space. So I think, you know, when it really comes down to dealing with anti-money laundering, bribery, corruption, terrorist financing, there's a lot to take on board. But if, if a fintech really needs to play in that space or if they're a payment provider, they've probably got a banking license, they're regulated on their own, they have to stay abreast of all of this. They have to understand the concepts are the same for a fintech, for a regtech, federal laws, local laws, things that cover multiple jurisdictions. It, it all comes into play. And 
even if I was to think a little bit broader on the regulatory side, the the Financial Conduct Authority um, in the UK, or even if we think about it in, say, Singapore, the MAS or the SEC in the US, every regulator around the world, they're all really encouraging towards fintechs and rate techs and legal techs because they know they're the ones that are advancing things in this area. And they're very supportive to be able to, um, you know, attract some of the best companies in the world to be their customers and to continue to develop um, where this area is going and, and the rigor that has to be able to sit there and support it. And and if I and I think I'd be a little bit amiss if I didn't mention Brexit. <laughs> Brexit right now obviously is is one of those things that everybody is feeling a little bit of the pressure being the beginning of 2021. And, you know, we're seeing even the definition of financial institution actually change. So it now includes the insurance industry, where before, you know, while they were regulated, there was a level of things that they didn't have to necessarily do. Well, now they do have to consider and reevaluate what they're doing in that space just to ensure that they have checked every box um, as they're supporting that industry. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And um, yeah, we, we, we try not to say the B word on this on this podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, Charmaine. But uh, but look, I know you, you mentioned there, you know, red tech and and and, and technology. And I guess I um, just sort of pull this back into 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 the red tech space for for, for the audience. And and I guess you know, red tech being the most relevant of, of fintech for you know the compliance officer. And I guess from a from an AML standpoint, split into to different sectors: AML, CTF, and and, and sanctions, um, etc. I mean. Do you think institutions will look to increase their budgets to benefit of this technology that's out there? Yeah, the RegTech one's a really, really interesting one, I think. No one likes to be fined. No one likes to be shamed in, you know, regulatory reports or news headlines or anything like that because they all want to be found to be in compliance um, with certain local and, and global regulations, as I mentioned before. And, you know, they want all their processes and controls to catch things. They want them to prevent and detect any of those type of events occurring. So they want to be able to monitor for financial crime compliance, you know, customer onboarding, payments and transaction monitoring, things like adverse media, sanctions, as we, as we you know, spoke about earlier, international trade, third-party management compliance. That area is such a big area to sit there and cover off. And, and it has to cover it off for individuals. It has to cover off for companies, whether they're private or public. Think about shareholders, politically exposed people. What if they're a banking institution that's dealing in commodities? So the vessels that are actually moving, you know, the goods back and forth or even real estate transactions that are going through. I think over, over time, and especially now, a lot of the reg tech products and the data solutions have been so instrumental in providing cost savings, in providing efficient automation. And just they've really upped the game on the actual data sources that they're using and including to be able to provide off sort of that AML side of it. And even going a little bit above and beyond, things like ESG data at the moment, that environmental social governance type data, things that around credit scoring and how that affects certain areas. So they're, they're really building out that, that data component to be a lot more data-centric, a lot more of a decision-making point to be able to have um, the right type of conclusions coming out of it. And, you know, the technology to support it is just getting better and better. The fintechs are developing it out. You know, look, if we think about it, I think we can very, very easily say that data is the new global currency. You know, data is information and meaningful information is content that's been easily related. It's got purpose. It effortlessly provides, you know, answers and insight. 
And that is what endpoints of customers want to be able to see. Those, those compliance officers, those people doing regulatory reporting requirements, they want to see all of that. And look, the reg techs are the ones that are helping the banks. They're helping the lenders. They're helping wealth management, asset managers, insurance companies, you know, all of them, corporates even, to adopt that strategic and holistic approach for how they're going to manage and mitigate those risks and bring together the different elements that are going to promote that accuracy level, that efficiency, regulatory compliance side. How do they support sustainable decision-making? And I think a lot of those things are all going to get aggregated together to come up with the, the right type of, of, of an answer. And you asked me about budget and cost. Do I think that's going to go up? Well, listen to what I've just said. All of those things at some point cost money and data costs and new technology costs. And really, over time, I think companies are going to look at how they revamp their digital transformation strategies, or they're going to look at some of the newer cybersecurity you know, threats out there and the strategies they're going to be putting in place, or they're going to look at what their tech and um, you know, regulatory landscape budgets are to be able to handle that thing. So I think it's kind of going to ebb and flow. I think there's going to be a moment where if they've set up you know, a budget for the next year or the next three years... Over time, things are going to cost more money, but they're going to gain efficiencies. So you're going to have to, at some point, probably increase it to know that you can include more and more things within that budget. And the best thing is, if you have increased it and you've secured the budget, you might need that budget for the resources to implement it or to integrate that into other parts of your organization, how you're linking that through, say, off to a central repository to do risk assessments, how you're then feeding that off to auditors um, to be able to audit the back end of the system and provide that you know, third line of defense assurance. So there's a lot of other things that could be used um, with that budget overall to make a difference. If we kind of bring it then back to kind of the wider fintech community, you've given us a very, I suppose, detailed insight into maybe where things stand at present. And what I always like to, to do with, with guests that come on to uh, conversations with recruitment is to uh, put them under the spotlight a little bit and, and, and see what they, they think the future is going to be. And I appreciate nobody's got uh, a crystal ball. But when we look at the, the regulatory view towards fintech and, and how that's constantly evolving, again, I suppose, in your opinion, what do you think this landscape will look like in, in the years ahead? Yeah, I, I always like the future questions. Um, I wish I was perfect <laughs> at predicting it. I'm not. <laughs> I might have done a few Don't things differently over the last year if I had if I had known, you know, a pandemic was coming. Um, yeah. But you know, looking at it from a very serious standpoint, the future side of it really comes down to probably three things for me, and it's three things that's going to shape the regulatory landscape going forward. I think COVID nineteen is obviously going to be the first one. Technology is going to be the next thing and existing initiatives and emerging risks is going to be the third one. So let me sort of break those down for you a little bit. So firstly, taking COVID-19, it's certainly playing a really big part and it has and is already influencing the future landscape. Most notably for me, um, it's changed the customer behaviour as we mentioned before, but it's also revealed new operating risks for businesses and corporations. And these are going to affect where fintech partnerships develop and in which direction their innovation is going to move in. The second part that we mentioned was the technology side of it. So if we think about what are the possible areas that technology and digital disruption, you know, is taking place right now, AI, machine learning, robotic process automation, all of those sort of things, they're all enabling 
um, newer models of understanding and assessing customer and product data. We've seen big waves being made already with AI and, and, and money laundering, and particularly in that payment space. But, you know, there's probably going to be the full impact that we haven't yet realised. So, you know, is there going to be, you know, real-time and cross-border payments? Will machine learning in capital markets, um, will it be, be used to, to better, you know, financial modelling evaluations? Or, you know, could it be used to do tax prediction and policy changes and things? Or even for the insurance industry, could it help us do better insurance underwriting? Or could it introduce us even newer types of insurance? Think about what blockchain's been doing even as a technology. Now, we know blockchain's been around for a little while. There's a lot of hype over it a few years back. But listen, it's still there. It could really sit there and revolutionise, you know, payments and lending. It still has that potential. And, and back in even 2018, the European Commission, in collaboration with the European Parliament, actually launched a European blockchain observatory and forum. And it was just really committed to harnessing a holistic approach to blockchain technologies and, and distributed ledger technologies. And, you know, Europe really wants to be that forefront of blockchain innovation and uptake. And they're still wanting to promote that. They still want to promote digital finance and newer frameworks around banking and payment processing and crypto assets. So, you know, they've got that already out there. Um, things like smart contracts building off the back of blockchain, um, you know, that's sort of still an area that's up and coming. And we don't have a lot of regulation around that right now. So how AI is being used, we don't have a lot of regulation around that either. So those things are going to start shaping what happens off different events that come through. Even things like the Internet of Things, you know, you heard me mention that up at the very top of the, of the conversation. Could we be using, you know, sensors to do pay as you drive insurance? I don't know, Maybe. What about security and, and privacy in there? You know, authentication mechanisms, biometric digital identity management, um, you know, use of personal identifiable information, hyper-personalization that we see that's always in that always connective mode. What about things like robo-advisors? How many websites have you gone to and you hit the chat button and it's a robot that actually answers you and says, would you like this, A, B or C, respond here? There's a lot of visualizations, contactless technology, behavioral modeling, you know, nudge solutions that can be sitting out there and looking at what we're doing. So there's a lot of things in that technology space that will start shaping what we see in the next few years and down the line. And that last area I mentioned was really around existing initiatives and emerging risks. The few things that come to mind for me is, particularly in the UK, it's supporting open banking. Um, we know Europe is heavily supporting digital finance. We know places like Canada is really trying to get on board and be the leader out front around digital identity regulations. We're seeing data reform proposals by the FCA and the Bank of England. Back in 2020, you know, they were focusing on using advanced analytics and automation techniques to improve data collection as it relates to market functions for fintechs and regtechs. We're also seeing a lot of um, you know, capabilities for data-driven technologies on the rise in the UK. Things like we said before, artificial intelligence, how do they do transparency? Um, how do they do things around crypto assets? And even the Centre of Data Ethics and Innovation, the CDEI, it's an advisory body, um, you know, to the government and they're advising on ethical AI. And, you know, the FCA and Bank in England have a task force even that's even committed to crypto assets and distributed ledgers for the possible future legislation about how they're going to look at that and tackle it. So there's a number of different ways that are out there to, to sit there and support. And, and the UK, you know, in particular, they, they have publicly, you know, talked about it. They've announced it in the past. And we haven't heard so much in the last year due to the pandemic. But, you know, they want the UK to be that global capital of fintech. 
And, you know, they put budgets aside in 2020 to fund, um, you know, different areas of how they're going to review, how they can support it, how they can bring in competitiveness and leadership into that overall fintech sector. So there's a lot of things that I see already there and in place that's going to shape what that future is going to look like. And emerging risks even, data dependencies, different algos, ethical AI, consumer protection, misuse of things, data and personal privacy, all of these things in emerging risk areas are going to start influencing how we think about the regulatory landscape in response to all of it. And in the short term, it means regulatory compliance, it means data analytics, it means, you know, payments are really going to be top of mind in terms of how do we move forward. So for me, if I was to sort of look at, you know, some of those regulatory viewpoints, it's about being more reactive than proactive. It's about watching and learning from some of the leading players in the market and what they're coming up with. It's looking to scrutinise incidents and what's happened in the past and and looking at where criminals are keeping up um, and being a little bit smarter of getting ahead of everything. Those things are going to shape those standards that we see coming on board. And it usually takes an incident for a regulation or a standard to come on board and change. We've seen that time and time again. There's elements of them being proactive, the regulators, but there's also elements of them being reactive to different situations. But for me, it doesn't matter how we carve it up. You know, three things for me are always going to ring true. First, I think it's going to be financial services have high expectations for fintechs and regtechs, and they want them to deliver them growth in the next, you know, two to five years. So they're looking to them for how do we advance the future? How do we ensure that competitive advantage? How do we ensure that, you know, we understand customer expectations and can can secure that revenue growth for ourselves? You know, the second part of that would be safeguarding data and earning customers' trust. That has to be at the forefront for innovation to succeed. If we don't have customer trust, a lot of these things will just fall over. And just, you know, the last one, a lot of stuff we've been talking about right now, standards and regulations, they're going to evolve and they're going to continue to evolve in response to what's happening with the advancements and the behaviours that we accept, that we use in that trusted system overall. How's that for a prediction for you? Well, look, I think one thing's for, for certain is that there's certainly a lot, lot to take on board and there's certainly going to be so many things still to come down down the line. And, you know, thanks very much for, for your thoughts on that and very interesting points that you've raised. Um, you, you kind of talked a little bit about blockchain and crypto assets and, look, we won't get into that today because that's a, a conversation in itself and I'm sure you've probably got lots of um, things you could share with us in, in that respect. But I think just to conclude and summarise you know, a conversation today. And I think it's very clear that since the global financial crisis, there's been obviously that disruption. And lately, that's been hugely accelerated by COVID. But there's still a lot of room for for fintech industry to, to mature. And I suppose as we continue down this journey, a few of the things that you've kind of mentioned is that, you know, customers trust is is, is paramount to, to kind of innovation. Um, and I suppose the key to that is making sure that the right regulatory controls and frameworks are, are evolving and adapting to to protect the customer data as you know new things come down the line like AI and machine learning. So it's just that constantly evolving ecosystem, isn't it, really, and ensuring that innovation is, is met with, with regulation and that it works in tandem. Absolutely. And I think you said it well there, you know, it's that data connectivity, it's that trust, it's that ecosystem that all has to form together. And listen, we're going to see great strides in it, but our behavior and and our reaction as consumers, as, you know, um, leaders in the industry, as risk professionals, we're the ones that are going to shape that. So I'm really excited for what that's all going to hold. 
Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. So thank you very much for, for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure it goes without saying that if anybody has any questions for you in, in regards to kind of regulation and, and fintech that they can reach out to you directly, uh, Sherman. Absolutely. I'd be happy to answer questions. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And have a, have a wonderful day. Speak to you soon. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Koopman. To subscribe to our channels or sign up to our mailing list, please visit koopman.ie forward slash podcast. Koopman is a specialist financial services recruitment company for accounting, finance, risk and compliance. For further information on the market, please reach out to us directly.